All right. So we are um, getting, uh, getting on with the series uh, called Same Difference. We are in part two. Excited to uh, continue it with you guys. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So you can turn there uh, while we're getting started. Uh, one of the guys who um, really uh, was kind of a, a, a spark for this series for me, his na- guy's name is Scott McKnight, and he is a uh, New Testament scholar, professor, and he wrote a book called Fellowship of Difference. Um, and in this book, he, he starts it off by saying, uh, there's three ways to make a salad. There's the American way, the weird way, and the right way. And the American way, which I'm sure probably you could all just go ahead and guess, you essentially are just going to throw a slab of iceberg on a plate and then just drench it with ranch. Yeah. Who's with me on that one? Like, you are like, I don't know. I don't care what's on the salad. Just make sure there's a lot of ranch on it. Like, you can't taste anything else for a couple days. It's just a bunch of ranch. Um, You ever feel silently judged when you order ranch at a restaurant? Like, Like, they're like, oh, come on. You uncultured swine. <laughs> I've heard servers say stuff like that. It's not very fun. So uh, there's the weird way where you have everything chopped up separately and then you eat it separately uh, on the plate. That's the weird way. But then the right way, Scott says, is that you put some spinach or arugula in there. He says iceberg if, iceberg if you must. You chop up some, some tomatoes and some onions and some carrots. You put some nuts in there and then you drizzle olive oil over it. And then the olive oil, I guess, if you mix it up, it tends to kind of bring up all the layers of the salad. It brings the best out of everything into this one bowl of salad. And, and he, he introduces the idea of same difference um, uh, for us, uh, as we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, like I said, that in Ephesians chapter 4, we are getting a dose of Paul talking about unity in the church. So as we're talking about unity in the church, we can't talk about unity, especially on Martin Luther King weekend, without addressing the fact that we are very diverse. Um, and not just racially, but we've been given all kinds of different gifts. We come from all kinds of different cultures. You, if I was to give you the microphone for three minutes and to say, tell me about the church culture that you grew up in or the, or, the, or the not church culture that you grew up in, we would all tell vastly different stories of what we grew up with, what we were taught, what we believe. In fact, there's a bunch of people in this room that are probably, if we had conversations and said, here's this point of scripture, let's talk about what we believe. A bunch of us would probably come to this idea, like we'd look at the same scripture and say maybe different things about it. And so there's obviously lots of variance within the kingdom. And, um, and what we're going to look at is how we can find unity while we're celebrating diversity at the same time. At the same time. So um, what's cool about this idea of diversity, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts today. And, um, and what's cool about the idea of spiritual gifts is that Paul has talked about spiritual gifts in other places. This is not an isolated incident. In fact, this is actually the most um, vague he's been about spiritual gifts. Uh, he talks, and this is just maybe for, for your further study uh, throughout the week. And by the way, if you're a note taker, today is the day. So maybe grab a phone or a pen or something like that. I'm going to give you some scripture references. I'm going to give you some definitions and stuff like that. But he's going to talk about um, spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. He's going to mention them other places. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, he's going to list a lot more than he's going to list today. He's going to list five. He's going to list five gifts that God has given the church um, 
But he's also going to talk in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, there's going to be a verse on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 says, Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. He's got the same idea. This is, there's no variance in what Paul's saying. In every different letter, he's saying the same thing. Varieties of gifts, same Spirit. Remember, uh, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. And that verse, that passage is going to sum up what Paul is going to say in Ephesians 4 as well. He's going to say it in all kinds of different places. You may remember last week we talked about in Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6 how he says um, that we should, we should be um, uh, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Um, remember we talked about how, how heavy that was, but how how awesome that is, and he gives us five different ways that we're supposed to do that. He talks about we should be walking with humility, we should be walking with gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. These are five very practical, listen, practical. Like, don't ever say that, that the Scripture is, is hard to apply in places like this, this is, are we humble? I think you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can know if you look inside of your heart, uh, was I gentle with people today? Was I patient with my brothers and sisters? Am I helping other people, bearing with one another in love? I, I even look at for bearing with one another in love can, can mean this idea of, of, of just long suffering and just kind of like, again, patience, but also bearing one another's burdens in other portions of scripture. And then eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That means that we walk in these doors expectant. We expect. That's why, that's, so if you're just looking at me as like your, your uh, example of, of how not to do things, sometimes I can walk through these doors with whatever, with whatever attitude I just happen to have. So maybe I didn't get enough sleep. Maybe I had something bad happen this week. When we walk in these doors, just like, Passively, we, there's no way we can be proactively eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So Paul is drilling us with this idea of how to pursue unity. And listen, we talked about this last week. We've been talking about this for several weeks. Ephesians 1 through 3 is all, here's what God says about you. Here's what's true. Here's all this stuff. Ephesians 4 through 6. Church, we've got to understand this. We've got to walk this stuff out. We've got to actually apply it. So we can't just say, you know what, it's just because I'm... I got, you know, I'm a jerk, so I'm just probably not going to be somebody who's very patient for the rest of my life. That's not the Christian walk. He's, he's going to say in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Why? Because there's one faith, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father above all. He's seven times he's going to say there's one Lord. He's going to say it all over Scripture in Ephesians 4. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all. So, going back to the salad illustration. How can we, rather than, rather than you know, taking a church and trying to squeeze everyone into a mold, how do we celebrate the gifts that God has given his church? He's going to talk about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 7 through 16, if you want to read with me on the screen. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Um, he, he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a mouthful Paul's writing here. Um, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot going on there, and we're going to try to boil it all down. Here's what we're going to do, just to give you kind of a runway into what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the five gifts that he mentioned there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and we're going to talk about the marks of maturity in our life and what we should be pursuing Okay, so he's going to say that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so in verse 11, he's going to name five. Okay, and he's not going to give us definitions necessarily. So, so we're going to dig into church history a little bit. We're going to dig into kind of the definitions. Um, and we're going to have to take our, our cues from the Greek a little bit. So you're going to see some Greek words on the screen. That's not there to necessarily, um, we're not going to dive into those. We're just going to kind of get some definitions. So verse 11, he gave apostles. Um, and the Greek word there is apostello. Um, and apostles is, is, is a word that you see in Scripture a lot um, in the New Testament. Um, and there's a lot of ways in which we don't have apostles today um, as far as like the office goes. But as far as the gifting goes, um, these are people who are, are the, the direct definition is sent ones. And these people are people who are blazing new ground. Um, If you look at the apostles in the New Testament, these are people who are starting new works and passing off leadership to to other people. These are starters. These are pioneers. These are people who, I, I always think of apostles in the New Testament as guys with machetes in their hand and clearing the bush and making a path for some other people to follow. These are people who, who um, had pretty tremendous gifts. And in fact, we, we can't forget what we've read so far about apostles and prophets in Ephesians. Remember, the church is actually built on the foundation of the work of the apostles and the prophets. We've talked about that in the first half of Ephesians, I think, chapter 3. So he's going to say you have apostles. This is a gift that God gave to the church. These are guys that are plowing new ground, and they're, they're, they're heading the way. And these guys, um, they don't sit still. Um, you don't, you, if you were to look at around the church, you don't see these people sitting in, inside the four walls of the church and, and staying comfortable. These are people that are out They're They're very, very focused on what is the new ground? What do we need to do? This is why we're excited about new churches being planted in Columbus. This is why we're excited about missionaries overseas and stuff like that in hard to reach areas. Um, this is why we get excited about that because that apostolic gift is there. Second thing. He's going to mention prophets. 
God gave the, the, the prophets as well. The Greek word there is prophetes, which is essentially just a truth, a truth speaker. Um, and what's funny about the, the prophets, that, that again, the foundation of the church was built on the apostles and the prophets, obviously with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but um, he's going to use these gifts primarily to, 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 to found the church. And prophets, um, people with prophetic gifts um, are... Are, if I can just say it in a word, just dangerous, <laughs> um, because we tend to um, we tend to not be happy with prophets when they speak truth, even if they speak truth in love. Sometimes it's very hard to receive kind of a new word from a prophet. Um, a prophet is someone who is super, super concerned about the will of God and the heart of God in the church and in the world. The prophet is someone who is who is looking and seeing. Listen, something's off. Something's like we got to go. We got to go because God has said that we we've got all these things covered over here. But listen, there's this, these missing areas over here and, and God cares about those, too. And we are good. We are good as, as humans at at caring about this. We always miss something. We always um, in church culture. We do this in church leadership. We say, you know, we need to do education in churches and and do that. So we throw everything we got at education. And then there's a bunch of people that say, no, we don't need to do Sunday school. We need to do small groups over here. And we, we, we swing the pendulum. And we say, the worship's boring. We need to make it super exciting and all this kind of stuff. And we tend to swing the pendulum back and forth. And the prophets, a lot of times, are looking and they're seeing kind of the, the, the wholeness of what God cares about. And they're saying, listen, all this pendulum swinging, it's Great, focus, whatever. But the thing is, is that God cares about all these things. He cares about the homeless. He cares about the broken. He cares about the hurting. He cares about those who don't have a voice that are being used and abused. He cares about all these different things. And they're constantly shining a light on things. And by the way, the reason people don't like prophets is because prophets are usually shining a light on what we're not doing well. And who likes to have that person in their life, right? But we need that person in our life. We need someone speaking prophetically, right? Um, maybe, maybe you could relate it to someone, you know, like in a more like modern non-church context. Um, you know, speak a friend saying like, hey, listen, I just need to let you know that relationship, it's no good for you. Hey, listen, I need to let you know those habits, they're no good for you. They're taking you down a bad path. And no one likes to have that person. Now that's just... That's like non-church language. So put it in church language, and it's like, hey, church, we need to focus on, we're doing good at focusing on our neighborhood, but we need to focus on, on the world and the nations, right? Or maybe, maybe you would say, hey, we're, we're focusing on, on, on small groups, and all that's great, but, but we never get outside the four walls and share the gospel with anybody. Or maybe what you would say is, listen, we're feeding some folks and all that kind of stuff, but we're not feeding our own folks, Maybe, maybe what you would say is we're, we're caring so much about what's going on outside the four walls. There are people inside the four walls of the church that are hurting, and we're looking right past them because we want to, quote, unquote, reach our city. And the prophets a lot of times bring us back. Um, and we need people with a prophetic voice in the church, a true speaker, truth and love speaker. <laughs> the third gift there is evangelist. Evangelist. Euangelistes. Um, you want to say that with me? It's kind of fun. Euangelistes. And, uh, and, and so this is a, this is a, a good messenger or a, a preacher of the good news. An evangelist is someone who, uh, in, a, in a very practical sense, is someone who is just really, really good at sharing the gospel. But in a more practical sense, 
there, there are a lot of times someone who can recruit people um, to be a part of a church plant. There are people who can recruit people to be a part of, of teams. Um, these are people who sometimes see um, what's missing in the church, and they can fill holes and stuff like that. They can say, listen, man, the kids' ministry is, is dying. Listen, the youth ministry needs to be started. The, the worship ministry, the, all this kind of stuff, they're, they're constantly recruiting. But the core of what an evangelist is is they are sharing the gospel. And listen, the truth is, is that we need to recognize with all these gifts, this is the one that gets mistaken so much. We can some, sometimes say, well, the evangelists are out there sharing the gospel, so I don't have to. And the, the, the truth is that they have a, a, an enormous gift in sharing the gospel. So these are people who could probably walk up to a stranger on the street and, and start a conversation. Right? How many of you, like, you feel like, yeah, I could, I could probably start. Yeah, a lot of us are like, nope. And we're super glad that these people have that gift. And it does not discount us. I'm not talking about taking a bullhorn down on a high street. Right? Unless that's what God calls you to do, whatever. But the truth is, is what I'm saying is that we all have to have people in our life that we are sharing the gospel with. That's just a very practical thing. Why? Because it's, it's a Christian thing. It's not a spiritual gift thing. You may have a spiritual gift of evangelism, and that's awesome. And we're celebrating you, and we need more of you. Because we have kicked the evangelists out. Right? We've kicked, kicked the apostles out, the prophets, the evangelists. We're very comfor- comfortable with our shepherds and our teachers because they kind of make us feel warm and cozy inside the four walls. And the evangelists, we've relegated to uh, itinerant work and go around. And listen, and they love it, and it's good. And evangelists can, can walk in a church setting and say whatever they want because <laughs> they get to come home, right? They get to come home, and they're not with those people. So they can say something that needs to be said. Whereas sometimes shepherds and teachers are like, I gotta be with these people for like a long time, so I'm not gonna say the hard things that I need to say. Um, but the evangelist is someone who kind of straddles inside the church and outside the church, and they're bringing the good news to people. For sure, that's, 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 a, that's a gift um, that, that, that some have been given. Um, shepherds is the fourth one. The Greek word is poimen. One who cares for and protects the flock. Thinks, I mean, and, and just what I love about this is that, you know, Shepherd and pastor kind of fulfill the same, the same role. Think about this as someone who is literally, okay, so if this helps you, literally guarding sheep in a pen. Okay, so these people are very concerned about making sure that the sheep are safe. They're guarding against the threat of weather, of, of predators, of, of, anything, of disease inside the flock, all that kind of stuff. They're concerned about feeding the sheep, making sure they're fed, and protecting. Those fences are there to keep the sheep in and the wolves out, right? And they're trying to make sure that all of that is taken care of. The shepherd knows that the sheep, um, the sheep need guiding. And so um, this is someone who is constantly making sure that the needs of the flock. So this is someone who doesn't necessarily venture outside those, those fences very often. This is why pastors get very um, insular, in their thinking, where apostles are like, let's go, apostles and shepherds in the room together. I mean, think, think, of, uh, think of Leonidas, right, and, and Ned Flanders from The Simpsons in the same room together, right? This is kind of what I'm talking about. Like, you've got like, let's go and let's stay in the same room together. And so in a lot of ways, sometimes, I'm talking about same difference, the unity and the diversity in the room, put two people in the room who have maybe a uh, a leaning in two different directions, and it can cause disunity, not because God gave them different gifts and it's his fault, 
is because we don't know how to maintain our gifts in unity in the same direction, in a healthy, strategic direction. And if we are all in the same spirit and all in the same body, we ought to be able to do that. But sometimes the shepherds and the teachers and the apostles and prophets kind of form their clans and we become, you know, um, morphed versions of what the church was supposed to be in the first place. The last is uh, teacher. Um, teachers, just very straight up, you know, didask- this is where we get our word didactic. Um, this is where we get our word, you know, instructor from. This is someone who is, who is looking at Scripture. They are, um, they are looking at, at Scripture, and their whole goal, their whole goal is to make sure that you learn something new, that you, that you get the truth. They care very much about the integrity of the Scripture being communicated and received, okay? Um, now, what you do with it is up to you, but that teacher is going to make sure that you are going to get the right information and hopefully some 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 tires, right, to put on that, that vehicle so that you know how to drive that thing. And those are, um, what's interesting about these five gifts is that God, yes, God gave us those gifts, but the truth is, is that, like I said, it, you should do on your own some study in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, the other gifts. What people have said is because this is kind of a circular letter, Ephesians, where they passed it around. What Paul has done is he's boiled all the gifts down into like five main categories. Um, now, this is just people's idea on, on why he did this. We don't necessarily know why there's different versions of the gifts. There's like nine in this book, seven in this book, then five in this book, depending on how you count and all this kind of stuff. But the truth is that what Paul has done in in, in this is kind of given us a brief overview of the five, um, and and all the rest can kind of fall in those categories. Um, but, But here's the deal. If we know that, that is good. But what we need to do is, is to know why we have these gifts. And Paul is going to answer that in verses 12 to 13. Real quick. He's going to say in verses 12 to 13, let me turn my page here, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now look at those words. I mean, let those words sink in. Purpose statement to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ or edifying. So you might say equipping and edifying there is what those spiritual gifts are for. You have, when you are a born-again believer, you have the Spirit come inside. We talked all about that these last several months about how the Spirit comes to dwell with you as a believer when you become a Christian. And when that happens, the Spirit kind of unlocks a spiritual gift inside of you. And that spiritual gift inside of you, every believer has one, is there to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to, to again, another word is edify. And I think I just want to say edify because there's two E's there and it helps me remember. But for the building up the body of Christ, that's what building up means, edifying. To build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which, which is to say, we'll be at this for a while, right? Like it's gonna take a minute for us to get, to get unity down. Now I love doing church in this city because it feels like, 
it feels like there's a, a bunch of church planters and pastors that aren't turf-based. Um, and maybe it's just because we're, we're kind of a more unchurched city. But the truth is, I've, I've heard horror stories of other churches in other cities um, that, that it is turf wars. It's, it's don't come near my people, don't whatever. And the truth is that in Columbus, we even have events where we gather together. There's one coming up this spring called One Night where we all these churches gather together and worship together. I love it. It's a picture, I believe, of just a mini picture of heaven and all of us getting together. I, I love uh, being able to do church in this city because what we have recognized is that we all kind of have our purpose and we're not gonna be able to reach Clintonville like maybe some other churches are. Maybe we're not gonna reach Gehanna like some other churches are or Westerville or Grove City or whatever. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna reach our little corner with our gifts that God has given us. And God has given us every gift that we need to do what he's called us to do. Do you believe that? That God has actually given you gifts. By the way, if you look at this, maybe read the subtext of what he's saying. The gifts are designed to be used to serve the church. These gifts are not designed for you at all. This is not, I have a teaching gift, so I'm going to edify myself. No, I'm going to equip the saints for the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ with my gift. So I ought to be looking for ways to serve the church with my gift at all times. Because if, if Ephesians 1 through 3 is true, I've been blessed, I've been forgiven, I've been accepted, all this kind of stuff, that I was dead, um, but God, who's rich in mercy, made me alive, and that he's taken all of us Jews and Gentiles together, and he's building a house together with all of us, what we can't do is sit on our hands with that information, because that means that we truly don't care about that information. What we have to do is to recognize and find ourselves in the gift mix, in the church, and get busy serving. Why? Because we have not attained to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood yet, have we? And listen, we're not going to until Jesus comes back. But we have to recognize that our gifts are designed to be used for the church. Todd Adkins said this that I loved. He said a big part of leadership is recognizing that your fruit often grows on other people's trees. Your fruit often grows on other people's trees, meaning that if you serve well with the people around you, that you ought to be able to see your work start to bear fruit like seeds on other people's trees. I am a result of people who have poured into me. I'm not perfect. You know, am I the best version of me that I can be? I'm trying but the truth is, is that I am where I am because people invested into me, because people invited me to a Bible study, because people met with me at coffee shops and taught me scripture, because people put scripture memory cards in front of me and said, I think you should memorize this. I think that'd be great. So because people prayed for me, because people served, because when I was a teenager and I didn't have the mind to think that I need to be serving the church People served me willingly, <laughs> humbly, 
patiently. They bore with me uh, in forgiveness. They were eager to maintain. They walked in that youth room, and they're thinking there's going to be a Mark Cox walking in, and he's going he's gonna to be a struggling teenager, and we're going to serve him. And I'm only here today as a believer because obviously God has saved me, but because people have shown their fruit on my tree by serving me. Serving not me, but the church. And I, as a part, as a member of the church, have received some of that love, and we ought to be those people as well. I want to show you just real quick, and then we're going to, we're going to wrap up. In, um, in verse 13 through 16, we're going to see four evidences of spiritual growth. How will we know that we're successful? We're going to be seeing ourselves as Christ, uh, seeing Christ-likeness in ourself, right? So we ought to be, be, be growing to look more like Christ. The back end of verse 13, it's going to say it, um, that we should be to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. You know, I mean, you know when people around you look like Christ. I mean, have you ever, have you ever um, met someone that just really reminded you of Jesus and you wanted to be more like Jesus because you were around that person? Not because they wore a name tag like, hey, look at me and how awesome I am, but they were most likely serving, they were most likely loving, they were most likely forgiving and bearing and eager to maintain the spirit. We also ought to be looking more and more like Christ. That's how we look. Um, we look more like Christ. It's a measure of, of spiritual growth. Uh, verse 14 is going to show us another one, that we're stable. That we're stable so that we may no longer be tossed um, to and fro uh, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Um, so we ought to be people who are stable in what we believe. We ought to be people who, who understand what we believe because what Paul is saying here is there are people out there that are going to try to change your mind. And listen, I am trying to change people's mind about the gospel too. So let's just be honest. Like we're in a battle, we're in a fight, and I'm trying to change people's mind. But we ought to be people who are um, stable in what we believe, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Some of this shows up in belief systems. Some of it, most of it, probably shows up in like habits and lifestyle choices and stuff like that. There's all kinds of way to do your life where you start to let trash in your life. Pastor Travis at Covenant Church these last couple weeks has been talking about how we sometimes let this garbage in our life, whether it's the movies that we're watching or the music that we're listening to, the TV shows that we watch. All of a sudden, we start to think differently. We're starting to be molded by these, the, the, this stuff that's shaping us. And that ought, to, that ought to be, we ought to be more careful about that. A measure of spiritual growth is, is discipline in, in what we're letting inside of our brains and making sure that that garbage doesn't get in our heart um, so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Third, uh, speaking the truth in love is in verse 15 that we're able to grow up every way into him, speaking the truth in love. Uh, this one's tough because a lot of us are born ready to speak the truth, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the love follows, right? Uh, I remember recently, um, this was funny, funny slash not funny. Um, we were uh, <laughs> around some people, and um, my, my middle child looks at someone, and just these words come out of his mouth. You've got a really big butt. And my wife and I were just like, <laughs> and we were just like paralyzed, you know. And the truth is that, of course, he's a child. He's just gonna, he's just out of the mouth, he's just gonna say what he's gonna say. And, uh, and we had to sit down and we had to say, uh, that's, not, that's not ever okay 
just to let you know, that's not ever, 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 ever okay, you know? And there's all kinds of things, but we grow up, um, and, and the illustration holds true. It's, it's, it's that we're children. The illustration in verse 14 is so that we may no longer be children, and we ought to be, that ought to be a measure of truth, that we ought to be able to speak the truth in love. There, there, is, a, there is a receptivity that is, that is there when someone speaks the truth in love in our lives. It doesn't feel like an arrow. It doesn't feel like a backstab. It feels like I ought to be able to receive this. Last but not least, mutual service. We ought to be able to serve each other. The body is working together held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly so that it builds itself up in love. These things all together, uh, imagine, just imagine a church. Imagine a church that, that, would, that would be described by Christ-likeness. When I say church, again, I don't mean walls and a steeple. I mean a group of people that would say, we're going to pursue unity so tightly that what we ought to be able to see, say, what we ought to be able to have said about us is that we are Christ-like, that we are stable in, in, in our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are speaking the truth and love to each other, that we are serving each other humbly. These are just very, listen, I don't, it doesn't get more practical. Paul is just super practical right now. And these verses, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, we could read these for a year, right? That we ought to, we ought to be um, focusing and leaning in on these. And I want to remind us, these are, not, um, these are not overnight. I want you to give yourself some grace as you're growing in the Lord. Um, none of us are perfect. Um, I haven't exactly figured out how to do all this perfectly. I'm in, I'm in process too. And the truth is that we ought to be a church that will give each other grace and um, and we are going to be a church that's going to continue to dialogue on how to serve each other well, how to love each other well, how to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to learn all these stuff. We're going to talk about these for a couple more weeks. Um, let me pray for us before we go. Father, thank you for uh, this group. Thank you for this scripture. Lord, I just want to ask that you would continually guide us, continually guide us in how to uh, work through all this um, as, a, as a church, as a body. Um, yeah, God, we need your grace. Um, make, us a, make us a unified body. Lord, and help us to uh, be able to learn how to use our gifts um, to serve the church, to serve those outside the church, um, to continually be used by you. Uh, Lord, let your spirit flare up in us a unity, Lord, that is not like anything that people have ever seen before. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.